Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami Ito parang sakachang dhammo sotapoti. I'd like to ask permission from Tanajan Amaro and all the Mahateras, Teras, all the Bhikkhus, Siladharas, all the uh, lay guests gathered here to give a Dhamma talk on this occasion of tonight being the full moon day where it's customary to practice the Dhamma and to listen to the Dhamma. So in Thai they call it one Tamma Savanang, a day to listen to the Dhamma. And it's also one of the last days that I'm in the United Kingdom. I'll be leaving in two days. And this may be something very normal for most of us to be coming and going and to see ajans or monks and nuns coming and going. But it does leave an impact on myself to find me in a situation of change again after having been accustomed to living in the monasteries in England for more than half a year. I feel, yeah, like um, it's interesting, an interesting experience to go back to Thailand via India, which is quite a turbulent um, terrain, I would say, after having been up in Northumberland in Arunaratanagiri Monastery for a few months, admiring the simplicity of the surroundings. And now finding myself, instead of taking the power of the simplicity, straight back to Thailand, in the monastery where I'm active, I have this episode of um, the turbulence of Mother India, um, for a month in between. I can only say that I really appreciate the um, level of stability that we have in a conventional sense. And this is really helpful. Even arriving in Northumberland, finding myself from uh, coming from a very intense period of monastic life, with all kinds of things happening, suddenly being dropped by an airplane in the middle of the fields and the open skies with sheep and cows. Nothing much more. A few bhikkhus assorted. <laughs> Not even, I mean, 10% of the months, <laughs> the amount of monks we had gathered for for the various festival occasions now. And um, 
yeah, like it's a strange experience. And then to um, reflect on these things and see, yes, ultimately there's always change and there's nothing that we can hold on and there's nothing that we can rely on. We know the teachings of the Buddha and that is what the Buddha taught and what we contemplate, what we try to realize. Yet on a daily basis, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have structures, to have conventions, to have actions which I feel assured by wise people are good actions, to have a sense of respect for other human beings that I can take as an example, for example, and for us as monks, nuns, and also the lay people acquainted with the forest monasteries to have a sense of vinaya or conventional reality that we can rely on. I find it's really important and really crucial actually in the, in the path um, of the Buddha's teachings. It's not just something we can just simply dismiss and discard prematurely and say, never mind, I'm letting go, when we actually do need a sense of reaffirmation, a sense of feedback, a sense of um, something to um, make sense of, to understand and, and see. And the way we look at all the conventions and all the makeup of this world can be quite intricate and quite detailed. I think we've just chanted it, for example, the five khandas, if we train ourselves in watching just even the body, there's so many things that we can discover that are almost like news to us, like in various situations, we can see new aspects and uh, new facets and, and um, be amazed with, okay, this too, as part of the phenomena around myself, around my body, around my life. So sometimes we have these very poignant um, experiences like um, changing places, coming from, from Uban Ratchathani to um, Hanam, or then after a due rest, going on to Chitters and then Amaravati, and now going back to another very, um, say, complex conventional reality. But I do believe we get more and more skilled in making sense of it through using the Buddha's framework. And this is something I feel very important for our practice, for my practice, and to see how much we can make skillful use of conventions and skillful use of the framework in which we see life. Just even the Buddha's teachings as, as they are, like we, we spend so much time and effort and also very joyful, energetic um, exploration of what the terms that the Buddha taught actually mean and how they apply to each situation. For example, when we do the chanting, we revise the same topics over and over 
in a steady routine. And I wouldn't want to miss that. It's not that they suddenly become a fixed entity, but they become a framework for the practice to see what's happening. So I find that's very, very useful and beautiful also. And I feel particularly grateful <clears throat> in this world that's overwhelming to see spaces that the monks and nuns have created over time where we have that stability and that point of reference. And I do believe that's the same for our lay practitioners that come and join the monastery for a certain amount of time, short time, long time. There's some, some of you that sometimes spend years or decades in close proximity to the monastery and enjoy that space where there's not the utter chaos, but there's only a little bit of chaos, just as much that we can make sense of it a little bit. And it's our exploration over time that we feel more confident in making sense of these things. Just even yeah, thinking about um, yeah, the, the fact that when Lumpur Sumedho came here first, he was advised by Lumpur Cha just to keep the vinya, just to keep the conventions, keep the kawat, as we would say. Kawat are the in-house rules that are definitely um, bound bound up with each and every particular monastery or group of monasteries. They're not universal standards. And, um, and the vinya even, there's so much discussion about how the vinya is really correct and so forth. And the, uh, we all know that there's like, of course, some tolerance in gray areas, but just in, as a first approximation and as a basis for making sense of all these these standards and ways and procedures to start with, like keeping a template, keeping something that we have already and that there's already a bit of experience with. I think it's really a wonderful thing and I can still feel at home now after how many years? 40 years of Amaravati. And, um, and also, yeah, like all the other monasteries or even when we meet people that are practicing in a similar style, we can expand this um, familiarity to other areas. I'm sometimes very grateful when yeah, I'm somewhere in, for example, in Germany visiting my mother's house and I meet the local vicar. Just the feeling of, oh, here's somebody who's got a scope of life that goes beyond the daily chaos, <laughs> somebody who has higher aspirations. Of course, um, different vinya, different rules, different ways of conduct, but just the feeling like to make a bit of a structure that I can orient myself in is very useful. So I'm very grateful that um, Lumpur Sumedho came here and didn't toss, toss overboard the Vinaya and the Kawat Patibat, <laughs> which of course, you know, like it would be somehow like an intuitive reaction. How am I going to do this? And you know the stories, like we're so privileged to have Lumpur around the corner and he many times talks about the conventions, the conditions, and also that um, interplay between different conditions, which I just experienced like being like in Thailand for a decent chunk of time and then suddenly finding myself 
in the United Kingdom, different kingdom, and uh, and just figuring out what's happening here and how do I relate to things. It's it's very interesting and um, yeah, like I I take joy in experiencing it because like there's so much of these um, uh, say ref reference points that I feel are ingrained in us being monks and nuns and lay practitioners or people have, that are, have heard the Buddha's teachings. And just that solidarity, I would say, it gives a sense of, yeah, like this is doable. I can change locations, go somewhere else and not um, be completely scattered and use the similar aspects of those conventions that I'm already deciphering in a different framework and try to apply. For example, my morning and evening chanting, I can do it in any place of the world and see what it does to myself and what comes up in my, my heart, in my mind. It's not something new, it's not a test balloon that goes up unexpectedly, but it's something that I have used over time, invested a lot of effort in making it meaningful for myself. And I sometimes pity people that don't have that point of reference. And this is a real, real sad story to see how many times people fall prone to that idea of anything goes, never mind, I just want to be free and do what I like. And, and then they end up shipwrecking in the chaos of the world and going to see various people on my visit here also friends and relatives from from my own past, then sometimes, yeah, there's this emptiness of things that you can talk about because the points of reference are very different. In the beginning, when I when I came um, coming to Northumberland, I thought, hmm, actually no need to really explore too much. I was quite happy that it was the limit, limited amount of a new input like the sheep and the, the trees actually. The trees are quite quite interesting how they change. Like I, I really remember Lumpur Sumedho talking about the seasons in the West. I haven't experienced seasons for <laughs> over 20 years. Like, uh, and so that was fascinating. But that, that was good enough. And um, luckily we didn't go too much to town. And also luckily in the last few days I don't have to go to London. <laughs> I'm quite happy about simply being here. <laughs> I remember one time, you know, as a monk or nun or lay practitioner, you usually yeah, you go for for the for the sake of practice, like and experience other monasteries, other retreats and so forth. And then there's this thing that in Thai they call tiaos, you know, which means like sightseeing trips. And I remember not really expecting that I would be traveling very much as a monk in Thailand. And for some reason, I developed some language skills and was able to join Lung Liam for a few trips. And some of them actually brought me here to Amarawati. The one that falls uh, sticks out for me because I never thought I'd be interested or like able to go is to go to America. And usually for many, many people, that's, that's great, go see America. And then San Francisco, I know, 
then I thought Amaro will just think, <laughs> think it's quite boring to go to San Francisco, but most people are quite excited. And, and um, me going along with a person that I really respect for his um, attitude towards life and his whole being and relating to the world, Long Liam, I felt like a bit copying the mode of, of like Long Liam, like sitting in the car that took us through these, like, you know, there's these kind of hills that goes up and down and cable car and whatnot. And, and our dra driver, one of the good souls of the monastery, which here we have equivalents, many, uh, long-term upasikas that work there and um, support the office. I know somebody here, for example, who's got a, her birthday today. <laughs> so the equivalent, um, Debbie, she's called, she was driving us and was and almost ambitious to explain how fascinating San Francisco was. And I just felt, oh, please, <laughs> let's go back to the monastery. <laughs> I didn't actually want to experience the... Um, you know, the fascinating life of a city like that. I felt this feeling of, actually, I've seen enough. I mean, I'm not making any claims. There may be other things that do interest me. But in this context, particularly with a teacher like Lompoliam, you just feel like this sense of, come on, let's cool down here. This is not so exciting. This is not so special. And and after all, it's like, you know, all these people walking up and down the streets, just the way they're dressed and the way they, their body language is, wow, this is quite something to figure out what it means and how to deal with it. Very far from what we do in the monastery where we just kind of even walking, we try to make no sound, we try to not be seen, not be heard or so. Very, very beautiful. We sometimes whisper, actually, and... Uh, and and then you got all this like loud life outside. So not to be overwhelmed and to use a framework that we can make sense of and use well, I think is very much supportive for the practice because we can enrich our experience bit by bit. We don't take on the whole world at, this, at one time, but we take as much as we can digest bit by bit. And I think that's really interesting. I, I find that's doable, and it fits in with what the Buddha taught about you know the you know there's conventions, there's things that work on the level of doing good actions by body, speech, and mind, and apply oneself to things as the conventions like the vinya or other conventions which are more difficult to pin down, like say um, the conventions of a certain country, a certain culture, the way people greet each other, for example. We try to respect these and build up a sense of doing the right thing, doing something that's good, doing something that's wholesome with this practice of using the conventions. Of course, we start with very high ideas about the Buddha's teachings, and I'm also very grateful for Lumpur Sumedho and of course also Lumpur Cha, Lumpur Liam and all, all our forest ajans and many other inspiring teachers that emphasize the highest teachings of the Buddha Dhamma. Things like letting go, freedom from suffering, no good, no bad, the ending of likes and dislikes, no excitement and peace and 
letting go and emptiness and things like that, of course. And this is the, the thing I feel is so, so nice that we can actually from time to time make experiences in that conventional way of walking through this busy world where we actually are taking little steps of letting go and little steps of not attaching too much identification or self or, or eagerness, keenness on that particular thing. And the framework that we need, of course, for each and every one of us is maybe different and we have to figure it out by ourselves. We have to really apply ourselves in that sense, make sense of things, look at things in a refined way. And for that, we definitely need um, meditation. We need a, a sense of restraint, a sense of minimizing the impact to that level that we just about can manage without doing unwholesome things. And this is quite, quite a beautiful teaching. We can be quite creative in finding the teachings in the little things that are laid out well in our life for ourselves and work with that and keep the big teachings alive in that context where, for example, we go to the, to the temple here, we pay, to, pay respects to the Buddha as an image and we keep the image of the Buddha or the, the Buddha as the perfect teacher in our heart, in our, in our feelings. And at the same time, we walk on the, on the floor and find our little um, pitfalls here and there and, and maybe realize that actually the place in which the Buddha is sitting is quite cool, cold. We've got to make, put on another scarf or something like that. We take care for the, of these things. But it doesn't compromise with that um, feeling for connecting to the higher truths if we're skillful with it and do it gradually and bit by bit. And I think it's not just something that the monks and nuns do. It's also something that the upasakas and upasikas do regularly. Uh, when, when you take, for example, the eight precepts, it's a, a matter of simplifying one's life just about to be able to manage things. There's the five precepts which are really um, already rare in the world, but like um, we take it um, quite, quite um, consistently that we... Um, not only um, practice on the level of the general ethical conduct, which of course is like not lying, not stealing, not killing and so forth, but we take it further to that sense of restraint and sense of not indulging or like getting diverted in nonsensical stuff like, you know, all the um, things that people kill time with, entertainment, singing, dancing, music, which of course is meaningful in one way, for each person, but many times it's just an outlet and a, a way of um, compensating for the frustration that we have. For example, eating. I can remember how much I was stuffing in when I was stressed as a student in Berlin, like basically cycling back home, trying to get, get in time somewhere and just quickly getting a pizza or some kind of whatever, Snickers bar or something like that. I don't know how much money I spend on junk food in between. <laughs> so if we can just maybe kind of have a framework for that even, like saying, okay, after 12 o'clock, that's it. <laughs> or like yeah, living with that idea. And well, there's even people that, you know, do this like consistently. Some people are actually 
Yeah, really a good example for restraint that we feel then, say, um, wanting to emulate, say, for, for me, and definitely Lumpolium is one of those that I feel like, wow, I can have, how minimal is his life? And, um, or you may have others that you, you take as an inspiration when things get hard and it's not quite clear in the, um, in the setup. One, one has to many times find a bit what works, like there's things that are already laid out, like the 227 precepts or Siladara precepts or the eight precepts and so forth. But there's also a lot of things that aren't laid out where we actually have to fine tune what about works for us and how much shall we make a little bit of an effort to clarify what we actually want to do and then stick to it for a while and build up a frame of reference and a base for our actions from there and then see what, what happens and how much can we actually um, just um, let things be and, um, and leave them to their own cause. I think that's really a um, very, very profound um, task to be able to orient oneself in, in life. How much do I have to kind of determine what framework I want to abide by and how much can I just simply really let go and go, as we, it's so popular to say, go with the flow. And um, so I, I believe all of us have got quite a bit of experience in there and I find it's a very valid experience for the practice. It's not just the amount of um, formal meditation and, and um, hardcore effort that one puts into um, certain postures or techniques, but it's much more the subtleties and the fine-tuning and working with the parameters. The other day we had some students coming from London, so actually I'm, I just said I'm not, not very interested in going to London and I realized actually, yeah, oh, come on, it's a bit much um, to understand all this, what's going on in the world, particularly now it's so, uh, so convoluted with, with lots of difficult things and um, but I realize so many times when you actually meet a, a, a human being that tells you who tells you what's happening to them in their context I'm actually all ear I'm actually okay with taking on a bit of the complexity and trying to understand what's life like for this person and um, and the um, the students that came are very different personalities obviously like each and every one is so unique anyway and they had different outlooks on life and and they all had faith in the idea that the buddha could give some guidance and and the the question was a bit like what what should i do with this particular choice in life um say for example shall i continue studying or shall I just drop it and do something else? And it's so difficult to answer this if you're not in, in their life, really. All we can say is, look, build up, build up your own capacity to see this. And if it gets too much, start with a little step of taking a step back and, and uh, practicing a little bit just to be alone, for example, not constantly answering other people's questions and going to some place or experiencing something new. Just have time, time for yourself. And, that, and they said that that's why they came here. Actually, I felt, I felt really good about that. I think that we provide a place where people can come and just step back a bit. 
But then, of course, like it's so complex. And then these days, there's so many people that don't have any ref reference anymore about like what's good and bad in life. I, I mean, it's exaggerated. Please forgive me. But like it, it is like a bit more diverse these days to see the conditions and the, and and the upbringing and oh the future and all these things. It's quite complex. And so I I just can't, cannot really say much other than. Oh, the three of you, you should take some time off and just step back and time fi find time for yourself. And then one of them said, okay, I did that, but I had a bit of a nervous breakdown then. Hmm. So this was even happens in meditation. We have so many people coming to the monastery, even in Thailand, that are so overloaded with dukkha that then suddenly very, very un unwished for side effects come up. And um, so then hmm, it's very difficult then to be um, even recommending silence to people and um, to be, so to say, empty of duties. Sometimes even that is very difficult. What I use is chanting. And uh, I, do, I like recitation. I just use the old truths of the Buddha and just um, take them in again and again and again. But I cannot say to a student of arts in London, you should do some chanting. <laughs> Try the Anatalakana Sutta. <laughs> and even, even more complicated, um, when I spoke with my friends and relatives in Germany that are very secular and they didn't even come to the monastery, I came to visit them to find common um, topics to talk about. I was trying to relate to their chaos of life, to asking questions, so what do you do? Is that and that, and how do you relate to this and that, and how is it in school, and how is it in uni, and, and do you do sports? And I kept asking all these questions, but there wasn't any, any common ground there. I noticed that they actually didn't ask back much, because I, maybe what we're doing is so, uh, so spe special or specified that there is not much overlap. And my suspicion is that people are a bit afraid of anything that looks like commitment to faith or to um, religion and they try to live without it and then and then, then there's not much really of the techniques and classical means that one can recommend if somebody then ships, shipwrecks or is about to suffer from that. I've seen this also even in Thailand like quite sad actually after so much of our tradition really is inspired by that faith and the common old practices that they do over generations, for example, katina ceremony or giving alms food in the morning. I fully believe that this can be very grounding and give a lot of refuge for somebody in a turbulent life outside. But the truth is there's less and less people interested in this kind of activity. They say it's rites and rituals, it's tradition. The Buddha didn't teach traditions. He taught meditation, emptiness, and letting go. And then, okay, one can try. <laughs> Maybe do it gradually. Do it bit by bit. Don't forget the wholesome actions, at least something um, that maybe you can do that is like, um, say, looks peaceful and is like soothing and um, gives you space and so forth. Many times as a Buddhist monk who um, doesn't, doesn't do singing, dancing and arts and music and literature and so forth, I say, why don't you just 
play a musical instrument or do some sports. As you know, we actually don't do sports as monks. We even cut that out somehow. <laughs> we just do a bit of sweeping and um, maybe walking meditation, but that's too much. But so you find the like the overlap, what's there as a say ritual in a modern society that people can still use in order to step back from that pull of the never-ending trouble that's waiting for them in, in, in their life. Or just at least have a sense of peace embellished through a good atmosphere like with singing or maybe some kind of good feelings when, when you're doing jogging and so forth. And we don't have to take it the, the whole way. We don't have to say, um, look, the Buddha even said, you know, got to renounce this. Like we take it gradual. And I believe that's really, really true. The Buddha taught that gradual training. We start bit by bit by doing acts of generosity. We start by practicing sila, respecting each other. And in the uh, way the Buddha explains the the worldly right view, he says, even like just simply admitting you've got a mother and you've got a father, that's already <laughs> some, you know, like a very, very significant contribution to well-being in in this context where we are. And, and then to, to use a gradual teaching and gradual approach and build up the, the things that we can do on a wholesome um, level so they become a reference point and then gradually see in each situation how much we can actually then um, penetrate to the, the truths that the Buddha taught about impermanence, not-self, and dukkha, which, of course, we are very grateful in having heard because that's the root of, of, of everything. The Four Noble Truths can't say how, how much I appreciate that not only Lumpur Sumato, but the whole of the forest tradition, we can say this, this is our emphasis in the, in the forest tradition, is like talking about dukkha, talking about the cause of dukkha and abandoning of dukkha and the path. So it is, of course, the heart of everything. On the other hand, um, it's not so easy um, to really face the things that are dukkha, and um, all of us actually from time to time struggle with it. I believe like when, for example, when mother or father is ill or dies, I know quite a few monks that have been very much um, shaken by the, by the parting of their, their parents. And um, so to say we're beyond and we know all these things and it's just like in the textbooks uh, that we can let go and not suffer over these things. It's a bit over over the top. I, most of us, I believe, are gradually finding bits and pieces where we can let go of things, people, context, experiences, pleasures, and things like that, without completely falling apart. So, for me, the feeling of yeah, great grateful for the relative meaning that is installed by practices that we do together in a regular way, in a clear-cut way, using the conventions of our daily life and not abandoning all the deeper things and trying to spot them. And uh, I believe most of us are making experiences in 
many, many little things that cause a great joy and a great surprise in being able to be uplifted by things that we didn't expect while we were actually following the script book, the textbooks or the chanting book. And suddenly these things come alive. Suddenly there may be a, a glimpse of, oh, okay, this is, this is what the Buddha said. <laughs> this, is what, this is how it feels. And this is like, uh, now I feel actually yeah, ready to, to move on. <laughs> things like that. We might experience that in, in small steps. And I appreciate very much that um, our whole tradition has both aspects. The vinaya and the conventions, the, the rules and rituals and the tradition. And at the same time, our teachers are never neglecting to point out why we're doing this and what, what's in store. And if we have built up that um, understanding bit by bit, how we can then actually face some difficult situations in life and dynamics that otherwise we might get emotional and upset about or depressed or downcast. So I believe that it's all in there, in the mix. And practically, um, as, as I said, I'm a great fan of doing recitation of the teachings. Doesn't mean that I'm attached to the to the um, to the letter of the words, and I'm also a fan of the vinaya. It doesn't mean that I kind of constantly say the harder or the black, more black and white the interpretation, the better. It's more the other way around. I I I try to get to know these things a bit, and then I'm taking great joy in experimenting with it. And I believe that's also actually something. Yeah, like that's quite modern. It's like that, that thing where the Buddha says it's um, like we have to make use of our wisdom. And it's not just about reciting these things in an empty way. That, like there's a lot of that um, in, in uh, traditional established religions. And um, a lot of that needs to be filled with life and meaning and effort and creativity. But I do believe that the Buddha is actually really like um, asking us to do this because there's so many times like, you know, he just says like the Buddha is just a, uh, the, the, the way post, uh, the, the signpost, and you have to do your work by yourself. And, and so I find that's very modern actually. And uh, it really resonates also with that um, feeling of, yes, you're being taken serious in your own personal complex life situation it's almost like somebody says and you can make sense of that you can approach it with wisdom you can approach it with um, looking at it in a refined and and a very very unbiased way unemotional i found that's very inspiring and um, very grateful for the framework that we have and I'm happy to be in various places as long as we're on the same page in terms of the general teachings. And then there's a feeling of like, um, yeah, not getting confused and um, drawn away to, to the chaos of the world, which I think is really a beautiful thing that in our Sangha, in our monasteries, in the communities, we can cultivate and make much of. 
and not be ashamed when people think um, we're actually um, attached to to little rites and rituals. We can prove them otherwise by um, adding a little bit of a heartfelt energy to it. It's like when, yeah, I, I noticed new rituals here. For example, when going on a walk, the few people that you meet on uh, like a Northumberland walk, uh, people walking their dogs, and they always ask you, how are you? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> they always greet you. And you can say it's rites and rituals. And okay, maybe as a monk, usually we wouldn't say hi, hello. But in that sense, like it just means, yeah, somebody's, somebody's got a good ritual here of like connecting and saying hello and being friendly. So we can find things like that where we can open up and, um, and just, um, yeah, adapting to the situation where we're in and find out what, what the script is there and try to make sense of the culture, the people that we meet. And as when we meet the people, we have direct contact and we understand what their life is like. I'm pretty sure that there'll be much more exploration that we can do in order to really build a bridge to what we ourselves are doing and how we ourselves are relating to all the difficulties in life. So I'd like to offer this for contemplation for everybody and say thank you for having me. And it's been an interesting experience, <laughs> a really truly interesting for me to come here, and I appreciate very much all the hospitality. Ewang.